Our sermon text for our meditation this morning is recorded for us in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the first chapter, beginning at the 15th verse. This is why, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing Christ fully. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, just how rich his glorious inheritance among the saints is, and just how surpassingly great his power is for us who believe. It is as great as the working of his mighty strength, which God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. God also placed all things under his feet and made him head over everything for the church. The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, Who is the most powerful person that you know? Is it maybe a high-ranking politician? Is it a famous celebrity? Is it a professional athlete? Maybe a social media media phenomenon who has millions of followers? Is it a wealthy businessman or uncle? As many of you know, the governor of our state, Tim Walls, is from Mankato and he served as a teacher here and a coach for many years. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's maybe even someone here today that knows our governor, Tim Walls, personally. Or I think about another famous individual from Mankato, Glenn Taylor. His company has its main operation here in Mankato. And we think about him, he's the wealthiest man in all of Minnesota, worth $2.7 billion dollars. He ranks about a little over a thousand concerning the number of wealthiest people in the world. And because he's lived in Mankato for decades, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe, again, there's maybe someone here today that maybe knows Glenn Taylor personally. I want you to think for yourselves, who's the most powerful person you know? I want you to also think about what that means for you. What does it mean that you know that person? Does it mean that you're the life of the party, that you have good stories to tell about this famous person? Well, that's probably a lot of it for for most of us. But if you're very close to someone who is very powerful, influential, and wealthy, that person might be willing to use their power, wealth, and influence for you. It's good to have friends in high places, isn't it? Our lesson for today, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the believers in Ephesus, and he wants to remind them that they have a friend in high places, a friend who's greater than a famous celebrity or professional athlete or even a high-ranking politician or a wealthy businessman. They know the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, and he wants to remind them that he is the one who has promised them an inheritance, and he is the one who rules all things for them. 
And he prays that they know this better, and that is my prayer for you today as well. Well, the Apostle Paul uses an interesting uh, way to describe what he desires in our lesson for today as he describes hearts with eyes. He describes that those eyes be open. And really, what's he talking about? He's, He's asking that the believers in Ephesus know something better. They know it more fully. That they know their Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that friend in high places who has promised them an inheritance. You might say, well, why does he need to tell them that? Don't they know it? Isn't that foundational to the Christian faith to know that our inheritance is in heaven? Well, it is something that we can forget. Not so long ago, I was reading a book, and in the preface, the writer wrote this. Chances are, if you or someone you love is not suffering now, they will be in the next five years, unless you are freakishly lucky. How true it is. We think of our own lives. Hasn't something happened in the last five years, something difficult that we've gone through, maybe a loss in the family or a major health concern or financial concern, some disruption or loss. And if we have the, the time and wherewithal to really turn away from our own suffering and pain and, and to see other people and, and to analyze their lives, we, we see that that pain and suffering is there for them too. Seemed to be the way of the world, the way of life. Life is suffering, life is pain. And for this reason, it's maybe easy for us to forget about the inheritance that is ours. And what is that inheritance? St. Paul writes in our lesson for today that he desires the Ephesians to be enlightened just to know how rich Christ's glorious inheritance among the saints is. Jesus himself says in John chapter 14, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Imagine it. The mansions of heaven. Those must be spectacular, right? Filled with incredible wealth and luxury in that perfect place. But not only this, also think about the way that God describes that inheritance in John's revelation. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain because the former things have passed away. As we enjoy all of that wealth and luxury in the mansions of heaven, we'll also be there without pain or suffering. All will be gone. But again, it's something that we can forget. We can forget because of the suffering and pain that we're enduring in the here and now. So what should we do? Well, God would have us remember the inheritance that is ours and have us focus on that even in the midst of our pain. Think about what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 when he said, For I conclude that our sufferings at the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. But how do we know that that inheritance is ours? Well, it's been guaranteed by a king. Now, kings aren't something that we're really all that familiar with in our modern era. 
We think about in our own nation, in the United States of America, we aren't ruled by a king, but it's a president who is the head of our government, right? We think about the closest thing that we can think of when it comes to a king is probably King Charles III of England, but really he, he's not all that good of example of a king. After all, he's given up much of his power and authority to his parliament. He doesn't have much control of the wealth of his country either. No offense to Charles. We think about what a king is, especially during the, the time of Paul and during the time of Christ. A, a king was one who had absolute rule, absolute power and authority, absolute control of his own army and of his entire artillery, absolute control of all of the wealth of his nation as well. Christ our king is greater. He's greater than an earthly king because he isn't limited by the number of soldiers that he has in his army. He isn't limited by the number of guns that he has in his arsenal. He isn't limited by the amount of gold that he has stored away in his reserves. No, he is in control of everything, and he has promised you an inheritance. Again, how can we be so sure? St. Peter wrote this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that is undying, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He describes the reality for all of us. We have been born again by water and the word. We've been given the gift of faith. Faith that trusts in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and we have been made members of God's family. Therefore, we are heirs of that inheritance that is undying, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. And so in the midst of this life, in the midst of our suffering and struggles, in the midst of our hardship and pain, God would have us focus on our inheritance prepared for us in heaven and to know that it is guaranteed by our friend in high places, Christ the King. But also this. Paul writes in our lesson for today, Know just how surpassingly great his power is for us who believe. God also placed all things under his feet and made him head over everything for the church. So what does he also remind us of? Not just that we have an inheritance in heaven, but he also reminds us that Christ is head over everything and rules over everything for us, for his church. Again, it, it seems to be, why does he have to mention this? Didn't the Ephesians know that Christ was God himself and had power over all things? But again, it's easy for us to forget. Some of you maybe remember a news story that came out just a few weeks ago about perhaps maybe the most famous of all of the U.S. women's national soccer team players, Megan Rapino, who had a career-ending injury. Afterwards, she remarked this, I'm not a religious person or anything, and if there was a God, this is proof that there isn't. Now, we might say to ourselves, that seems rather presumptuous for someone who 
admits that they're not religious, that they don't believe in God, to believe that if there is a God, that he should be protecting her from a career-ending injury. Perhaps it seems a bit less presumptuous for us who do believe that there is a God, and that God is in control, and that he is all-powerful, that he is watching over everything for our good. Yet it's sometimes hard for us to remember that truth, and hard for us to really accept it. We look at at the difficulties and and trials and troubles that we face. We say, why God? God, I'm so faithful to you. I'm so faithful to your word. Listening to what you say in that word, I try to conform my life to it every hour of, of every day. Why is it that you allowed my loved one to die at such a young age? Why is it that you allowed me to get cancer, Lord? Why is it that you allowed my parents to get a divorce and break up our family? God, why did you allow this financial hardship to come into my life? If you loved me, you wouldn't have done that. Maybe we too can be like Megan and begin to get angry at God or at least even go further than that and and think that God doesn't exist because if he did, he would have stopped those things from happening in our own lives. God reminds us of this truth in his word in Romans 8. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Yet how could it be? How could it be as we look at our own lives and we don't see things that are good, but things that are are bad, at least in the eyes of the world? Well, it's good for us to remember what is best for us, what is truly our good. We know what God views as best for us in our own lives. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, God our Savior wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what's best for you. What's best for you is to be saved, to have eternal salvation, to know God's truth. Could it be if everything was perfect all the time in this world, if you had perfect health and had an abundance of wealth, and if everything went the way that you thought it should all of the time, if you are filled with pleasure every moment of every day, could it be that that perhaps would be bad for your relationship with Christ? Could it be that you would forget about him or feel that you have no need for him because everything is going so well? Could it be that God can use even difficulty and suffering and pain for his good purpose of keeping us close to him, keeping us in the faith until that day that he sees fit to bring us home to the mansions of heaven, to that truly perfect place there. Yet it's so hard, it's so hard in the midst of that suffering and pain to think in this way. So what should we do? Look to the cross. Think about what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. You know, if you think about it, the cross is really foolish, isn't it? 
You know, if you were to come up with a way that, that God should have devised to save you, it wouldn't have been this, would it have? We probably would have imagined that God would have gathered his legions of angels and came down from heaven to smite the devil and all of the demons and to get rid of them. That would have been our way that God would have triumphed and saved us. But if you think about it, it wouldn't have worked, would it? Even if the devil was gone, even if the demons were gone, we would still be in our sin. God knew this. God knew that the only way to defeat sin and the only way to truly free you from sin's grasp was through this. It was through sorrow, suffering, pain, as we hear described in our gospel lesson for today, was for Christ to go to the cross for you. And even though it seems so foolish in the eyes of the world, God has led you to believe this, to believe that it's true that through the cross comes victory. But again, how do we know that it's true? God hasn't just given us the cross. What has he also given us? He's given us the empty tomb as well. That empty tomb through which he declares, yes, my son suffered. Yes, he died. And while his body lay in that tomb for those three days, and while it seemed that all was lost, I was at work for your good. And he proved it. By raising him to life from the dead on the third day, Christ's resurrection proves his power over sin, death, and the devil for you now and forever. So who is the most powerful person you know? Is it Tim Walls or Glenn Taylor? Maybe a wealthy business person that you know or a rich uncle. Who is it? Well, for us as Christians... It is Christ the King. He is our friend in high places. And he would have us know that he has an inheritance prepared for us, one that is guaranteed and cannot be taken away from us. He'd also have us know that he is even right now working for our good. He's ruling over everything for our ultimate good, to bring us to be with him forever in heaven. What comfort we find in him as we know that he has guaranteed it through his death and resurrection, we know that his power is at work for us now and always. Amen. I invite the congregation to please rise. He lives, my kind, wise, heavenly friend. He lives and loves me to the end.